Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here with us on another cold Easter Sunday morning. Uh, not Easter, but April Sunday morning. I meant to say April, not Easter. That was last week, April Sunday morning. Waiting for some warm weather, hoping it will come this week. Well, my name is John Miklas, and I'm the lead pastor here at CCC, and I just want to welcome those of you who are visiting for the first time. We're very honored to have you here as guests with us, and also those of you who call CCC your church home, and even if you've been visiting just for a few weeks, it's great to have you back here with us this morning. Uh, before we dive into the message today, I just want to announce something to you that uh, Damien, who is leading worship here uh, with us this morning, he has stepped into an, a role for us at CCC as our interim worship director for the next five months. So would you just welcome Damien? It's great to have him on our team and joining us, so we're very excited about that. Um, after our worship pastor's accident, Johnny's accident, uh, I stepped into leading the team, and I like music and like to sing, but nobody lets me do that anywhere near a microphone. And so that's kind of a hint, I guess, you know, but we needed someone with that musical capacity and prowess and uh, heart and passion for worship to lead our team, and so we're excited to have him working with Chad and Greg, and they're just doing a great job leading our, uh, our teams and leading us into God's presence on a weekly basis. We ask that you continue to pray for Johnny. Um, his recovery has definitely slowed down. Uh, now it's just a long, long marathon as we've been talking about that. Really, for the brain to heal is a long process, a one- to two-year process, and so that's the journey that he's in right now. Uh, it's very long, very slow, and so he and Susan and Leah especially would greatly covet your prayers for all of them. Well, there's a lot of difficult things I've done in my life, and I was thinking about some of those difficult things I've done. I've done a... Uh, number of years, I started to do some training, and as I started to get into training, it gave me opportunity to run marathons. And if you're wondering, where's John in that picture? He's not in that picture, but if you keep looking at it, maybe you'll find somebody that looks like me. But um, that's something I've had a chance to do a number of those, really enjoyed them, very stretching, incredibly demanding. Also had a chance to do some amazing hikes all over the country, uh, up to 10,000-foot peaks. It's an amazing experience to push yourself beyond those things. I've also faced some difficult things like the loss, the sudden loss of a close friend, a number of years ago. Um, I've had to face looking at my own inner demons and uh, dealing with evil that was confronting me and face those things as well. But I don't think any of those things uh, equal what we're going to talk about this morning. And as we dive in and continue this series on forgiveness, we're going to talk about this challenge of walking towards a potential conflict with a desire to see reconciliation. Walking towards a potential conflict. Not someone coming to you and saying, I think there's a problem, can we talk about this? But you recognizing there might be a problem and choosing to walk towards it with another person. I was never taught to navigate conflict or resolve conflict when I was a little kid. Uh, even in my teen years, I was never taught to resolve it. And so, what do you do when you're a kid? You watch the people that are in your home and you see how they resolve conflict. And it didn't happen in my home. It was a lot of explosive uh, interactions and the conflict was never resolved. You just moved on. So, explosion and move on. Explosion and move on. And what we do when we watch those things, we do one of two things. We either mirror it we do the exact same thing, or we say, I'm not going to do that, and we go way to the other extreme. Why would way to the other extreme over here? Because I said, I don't like that. I don't want to live in that world. And so I'm going to try to figure out how do you resolve conflict? And as I started to understand what God had to say about it and it's got some tools to do it, I thought, I'm going to work at resolving the conflict in my life, not living with it, but resolving it. 
Well, you can imagine how that went early on in my marriage as my wife, who came from a home where conflict never got brought up, and I was always trying to resolve it, what that was like. I was always trying to drag it out of her. I knew something was wrong. She wouldn't tell me. I knew something was wrong. And then when it came out, oh, did I regret it. I didn't want it to come out, you know. Can we put that back in the closet, put the lid on that and close it up, you know. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. We've still continued this journey of trying to figure out how do we do navigate this as a couple. But the truth is for all of us, you can't avoid conflict. You cannot avoid it as long as you are in relationships with people whether it's in your home, whether it's in your workplace, even in the context of the church, people you're serving with, your small group, you will face conflict. And sometimes it'll be out in the open and be right in front of you, and you deal with it. Other times it's kind of off to the side, and you don't really notice it. God has given women a little bit higher relational radar sense, so they often notice when something's not right. And the, the guys are like, what do you mean? Everything's fine. Everything's fine. They're like, no, something's not right. Something's not right. And if we pay attention to that and listen to them and realize that something isn't right, then we're aware of it, and now we have to decide what are you going to do about it. We're in the middle of this series on forgiveness, and our title is Unlocking the Door to Freedom. For, forgiveness is unlocking the door to freedom. And we began our series by looking at how to extend forgiveness to other people. And we looked at Jesus' example where Peter thought he was a good guy. He said, Jesus, I know the law says to forgive three times. How about we up at the seven, and then we'll be better than everybody else? Jesus said, "Ah, Peter, you got to go a lot higher than that. He said, how about 70 times seven? Jesus wanted to create for us an example where forgiveness had no limits. Say that again. Forgiveness had no limits. Peter wanted to keep it within the law. Jesus said, no, no limits, no limits on forgiveness. His death on the cross left us no excuse, as we talked about last week at Easter, that forgiveness starts with the cross. And when Jesus gave up his life on the cross, when we had no interest in him, we were not followers of his, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It changed everything. It took away all of our excuses. Because no matter how badly someone has sinned against us, no one ever asks us to die for them. And so Jesus' death on the cross makes it a challenge for each one of us to say there's no reason for me to not be able to forgive. I didn't say it wouldn't be hard. I didn't say it wouldn't stretch you beyond what you think you can bear. But it gives us no excuse not to forgive if we're a follower of Jesus. Paul says this in these, this verse. Let's read this together. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. He says, I want you to do what I did. I want you to do what I did. And so as we talk about this and begin to enter into this whole idea of asking forgiveness, there's two questions that come to our mind. The first is, when should I ask for forgiveness? And then how? When and how? And knowing who you are and knowing how you respond in these situations will help you to prepare for it. Generally, when we enter conflict, we do one of two things. Some of us fight when we enter conflict. We're the fighters. We're going to go at it with you. Some of us, we run. We're the ones that are in flight. And then the last category, some of you don't run or you don't fight. You just freeze. You just freeze. Okay, time for a little honest confession in church, everybody, okay? So, how many of you, when you are in conflict, you fight? Let me see your hands. 
Okay, not very many were in Lancaster County, I know that, so not very many. Berks County people are raising their hands really high, you know, I'm just kidding, just kidding. But uh, how about flight? How many of you run or avoid conflict at all costs? How many? Some of you are not voting out there, okay? How about freeze? Some of you just get stuck, you don't know what to do, okay? All right. Knowing how you respond in these issues is going to help you to know what steps you have to take, because each one of us have to take different steps as it relate to this. For those of you that are fighters, you're going to hear a story later of, of some ways to walk into that. For those of you that are avoiders, my hope is that you recognize that that will never get better for you. It's only going to get worse. And for those of you that freeze and get stuck, to give you some steps to walk into it. If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, um, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the rack in front, the seat in front of you, or you can uh, follow along on an app on your phone. Um, you know, when we're in a conflict, what happens is we do one of, two, one of a couple of things. Some of us, after a conflict, we just kind of ignore it, try to walk away from it. Um, others of us, we just try to patch it up real quick and then move on. And still others of us, um, we just avoid the problem. And we eventually avoid the person, and we go to a different service, maybe even to a different church, and we just walk away from it completely. And none of these are good options. None of these address the issue or the damage that caused in the moment. And too often, we don't process through these events in moments when the intensity is down and then take initiative to resolve them. And Jesus, who modeled this for us and is coaching us in this area of forgiveness, says these words as we approach this sticky subject of forgiveness. Listen to his words. You've heard it said to people long ago, you shouldn't murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Well, we know that. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember your brother or sister has something against you, I want you to leave that in front of the altar. Go and be reconciled to them and then come back and offer your gift. So the question to ask is, when do I need to ask for forgiveness? When do I need to ask for forgiveness? Well, this story, this passage, we're going to walk our way through. It says the first time you need to ask for forgiveness is when your worship or your interaction with God is interrupted is interrupted. So, how'd you get that from that? Let's go back through it. So, he says, you've heard you shouldn't murder. You shouldn't murder. So, is that one of the Ten Commandments? What do you think? Yes or no? Yeah, okay, that's one of the Ten Commandments. So, we can all agree on that. They knew that. And if you do, there's consequences that come to it. And so, for the Jewish people, they thought that was the rule. Just don't murder, and you'll be okay. Jesus said, no, it's a little deeper than that. It's a little deeper than that. And so, Jesus says, I tell you, one who's angry with their brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So he's saying, John, is, is, is Jesus saying you shouldn't be angry? Well, yes and no. Paul, a little bit later, said, be angry, but don't sin. So wait a minute, how am I supposed to be angry and not sin? And yet Jesus says, don't be angry. Let me just take a moment and talk about anger. Um, anger is not a bad emotion. Uh, it's actually a gift that God has given to us because anger alerts us that one of two things that happen, either there's been injustice or there's a blocked goal. And you see, when there's injustice, when someone does something wrong to us or does something wrong and we observe it, we, there should be something that rises up inside of us to say, that is wrong, I'm not going to stand for that, they shouldn't be doing that, and you do something about it. 
That's called righteous anger. That's what God gives us. The gift to make a difference when something wrong is happening to us or someone else. But there's another side to anger, and that's the blocked goal. That's when I simply want something, and I don't get it, and I am ticked. I'm ticked. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. And what Jesus goes on to say in these next couple verses is he says, he's going to say that when you get angry, you do things, and he's going to describe them in these next couple verses, you do things that will leave you in very, very bad places. Instead of thinking about this, when you did blank, I felt blank, you are just ticked. And the first thing he says is anyone who says to his brother or sister, racha, say that with me, racha, you got to have a little guttural in there, you know, when you say it, you know. Racha. Um, this was a, a word that simply meant someone with an empty head. An empty head. Uh, we might call him an idiot. That's what we might call him. But name calling in that culture was highly, highly insulting. But you know why? Because when you call someone a name like that, you rob them of some of their dignity. You rob them of their dignity. It strips them of their identity, and it attaches an offensive identity to them. And so for that, he said, you're going to court. And then he says, anyone who says, you fool, which is the highest form of insult in the Jewish culture, because it attached moral connotations to this person. The word for fool is the word moros. What word do you think we got from that? What word do you think? Moron, there you go. Just drop the S and add the N. And so to call someone a moron was highly, highly offensive. Again, this was someone who acted foolishly or, or like an idiot, but to treat someone with this contempt by using these words was to strip them of the identity that God had placed on them and wrongly make that person into something that they're not. And so Jesus outlines these things. And what he's doing in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, this message that he likely gave over and over and over and over again, he's saying to them, you guys think you're okay as long as you don't murder somebody, but it's not wrong to strip someone of their dignity by saying these things to them and about them. And so at the end of all of that, Jesus makes this statement. He says, if you are offering your gift at the altar... He's literally saying, if you are coming to worship, to meet with God, if you're coming into the church, if you're singing a song, if you're listening to myself or someone else speak, and you realize, I think someone has a problem with me. Now, he doesn't say that you've done one of those previous things. He doesn't connect it directly to that, but he says, you just have this awareness that you have a problem with me. He says what? He says, um, uh, he says, I want you to go and take care of it. Now, just this morning, for the next 20 minutes, I'm going to ask you not to do what Jesus said. If you realize you have a problem with someone, please don't get up and leave until I tell you how to deal with it, okay? Then you can go and take care of that. So for the next 20 minutes, even if God brings something to your mind, write it down, and we'll talk about how to navigate that. But what is Jesus saying here? What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that there's something between you and God. Maybe it's just not you, and maybe it's just not, maybe it's not God. He says if your worship with God is interrupted, if you don't sense God's presence, if you've stopped hearing from God, you might have an issue with someone else that needs resolution. 
You think, well, I've just kind of drifted away from God. I'm not really as close to God as I used to be. I, I, I probably need to get back to doing some things I used to do. And I would suggest to you, no. No. I think what Jesus is saying is there's something blocked in relationship. There's a sin that's happened with someone in your circle, in your life, that you've got to resolve. Maybe these are some indicators that you have something to address. Your time with God is sporadic. Maybe you're living off another's faith. You say, what does that mean? Well, well you, you, you read devotionals, you read things that other people are writing, but you're never sitting with God and, and God meeting with you. When you come to worship, it's like, oh, I didn't really get anything out of it. You kind of bailed on your small group, or you don't even connect with them outside of church. I read a study this week that said this, most North American Christians who attend church attend 2.5 churches, and many migrate between multiple churches throughout the year and throughout their lifetime in the same community. And I wonder how often that happens because we have not addressed a forgiveness issue that needs to take place in our relationship with other people. So the first reason that we need to go and ask forgiveness is when there's something between us and God. Something doesn't seem right. We need to not say it's just God or it's just me. Maybe it's me and someone else that I've ignored. The second reason that we need to do that is when love doesn't cover it. When love doesn't cover it. You say, John, shouldn't we just let some of those things go? You should. You should. And Peter said you should. Look what he says. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over what? A multitude of sins multitude of sins. Now, what Peter did not say is he did not say love covers every sin. He didn't say that, did he? No, no. He said love covers a lot of them, right? And there's a lot of things where something will happen with someone else, and maybe they didn't realize they did something to you, or they tell you, oh, sorry, and you're like, oh, okay, and you move on, and love can cover it over. Love can cover it over. And Peter says, it should cover a whole bunch of them, but it's not going to cover all of them. It's not going to cover all of them. You say, John, how do I know if it doesn't cover it? Let me give you a couple of clues. If you tell that offense that happened to someone else, and you don't include the part where they cleared it up with you, repeated offenses have not been covered with love, have not been covered with love. So what do you mean? Well, when you forgive, you let go. You release this. You don't hold on to this. You let it go. So that's what forgiveness is? Yeah. Yeah. It means when someone wrongs you and they come to you and they say, hey, I recognize what I did. I was sorry. Can you forgive me? And you let that go. That's what forgiveness is. It's releasing it. And so when you realize I've not released this because I'm talking to someone else about it. Another analogy that I often use is um, when we talk about someone doing something wrong to us, one of the pictures that we use is we do what? We sweep it under the what? The rug, right? We sweep it under the rug. Well, you know what happens if you keep sweeping stuff under the rug? What happens to the rug? It's a little mound there, right? You swept so much stuff under the rug that every time you walk over that rug, you you're tripping over that rug, right? Right? Love hasn't covered it. Love hasn't covered it. 
One of the hard things that I am facing in my own life is that when people sin against you, um, it doesn't have any term limits. Oh, it's been seven years. We can wipe that one off. It doesn't work that way. I hate that. I hate that. And so when God brings something up in your life, when God brings something up in your journey that's happened in your life, He's doing that for a reason. It's not an accident. He's doing that because He wants you to walk through that door of forgiveness and offer that to someone else. And in the process of that journey, realize you are freeing yourself. Yourself. Say, John, isn't that just digging up old stuff? I can tell you in my own life, in my own story, I'd rather not dig it up. God just kind of did this and put it right here in front of my face. I'm like, oh man, now I got to deal with this. Now I got to deal with this. And then I have people in my life who I tell them about it, they're like, I wondered why it took you so long to get to that. You know, this forgiveness stuff is a big deal. I don't know about you, but I don't want anything getting in the way of my relationship with God. Nothing. And I want to be able to receive the love that God offers to me through His death on the cross, and I want to be able to offer that to everybody that I cross paths with. But if I haven't dealt with this forgiveness stuff, I not only am stuck with God, I'm stuck with other people as well. And so if love can't cover it, then you need to do something about it. Okay, so I need to address it. How do I go about doing that? How do I go about doing that? Well, the first thing that you need to do is you need to prepare your heart. You need to prepare your heart. I want us to look at a passage in Matthew 7. Just turn a few pages over from Matthew. If you're there in Matthew 5, turn over to Matthew 7, and let me read a couple verses to you from Matthew 7. Jesus goes on a little bit later in his talk, and he says this, don't judge or you will be judged for the same way you judge others. That's what's coming back at you. And with the same measure you use, that's how you're going to be measured. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Well, what's Jesus talking about there? He's, he's not saying back in verse 1 where it says, judge not lest you be judged. You, you don't say anything to anyone about anything. I said, there are times you speak into it, but you have to take a step first. Greg, you're on the end, so you want to be my illustration up here this morning? So, um, No, I just want you to hold it on your shoulder like this. All right, just don't whack Frank with it right there. All right, all right. So, Greg has this little issue that's going on with he and his wife, Melody, who's sitting here in the front, and, and, uh, and uh, it's not a big deal. It's like this. It's just a little speck. Um, that's all it is. That's all it is. But Greg brings the speck to her, and he says, Melody, we've got to talk about this speck. And Melody's like, Greg, can't you see that thing? Can't you see it? It's sticking out of your head, sticking out of your shoulder, poking you everywhere you go. It's poking people. But he's not paying attention to it. Thanks, Greg. You can put it down. Um, 
What's the first thing you have to do? The first thing you have to do is you've got to prepare your heart. You've got to do some work on the inside. I'm going to give you a tool in a minute, to, a few minutes to do that. Because if you go into these conversations with someone, sometimes these conversations are a little bit like this. And you realize, i got a plank sticking out of my eye. And this happened to me a few weeks ago. Someone did something, I got really torqued about it. Um, and fortunately, I didn't go and have a conversation right away because I would have made a big mess. But the longer I sat with it, I was like, oh my goodness, some of this is my fault. That was painful. That was painful. Because when we have an issue with someone else, what percent do we want to be their fault? A hundred, right? We want it to be a hundred percent on them, right? And what percent on us? Zero, right? Zero. But when we take the time to look at ourselves, to look at our hearts, to look at our lives, we often will see our part. Often. You say, John, why not every time? Because I think there are times when there are offenses that take place, especially between an adult and a child, where it is 100% the adult's responsibility. 100%. And next week, we're going to talk about forgiving yourself. And there's a lot of people that I know who have grown up with an adult that has sinned against them, and they live with this weight of responsibility that is not theirs at all. And we're going to talk about that next week. But Jesus says, you got to look at your own heart. you got to look at your own heart. And you got to be self-aware and say, what's my part? What's my part? You need to get clarity about what is the problem. What is the problem? You need to ask yourself, when they did this, I felt this. When they did this, I felt this. You need to look at your heart before you go and confront someone else's. That's the step that Jesus invites us to take. And when you take that step, then He says this, go and be reconciled to them. You say, wait a minute, John, didn't you talk a couple weeks ago about that forgiveness and reconciliation, they don't have to go together? They're separate. They are. They are. Forgiveness requires how many people? One, right? Reconciliation requires how many people? Two, right? So Jesus says the first thing you need to do is you need to examine your own heart. You need to take responsibility for your part, and then you need to go and have a conversation. And as you go and have that conversation, there's really one of two outcomes of this. The first is they say, yes, I can see it. Let's patch it up and move forward. The second is, no, I can't see it, or I don't want to address it, and you can't move forward. You can't move forward. You say, John, it seems like a lot of work just to patch things up. It is. It is. But let me ask you this question. When you start to do something new that you've never done before, is it hard or easy? Which one? hard, right? Start to do something that you've never, you're learning a new job, you're trying a new workout routine, you're stepping in a new class you've never had before. It's going to be what? It's going to be hard. But the longer you do it, the more you do it, over time you develop the skills and ability, the muscles, the aptitude, and you're able to make those things happen. So is forgiveness hard? It is hard. It is hard. But the more you walk into it, You'll develop some skills to be able to do that, and you'll experience this kind of freedom. 
You can never unlock the door to freedom for someone else, but you can hand them the key so they can do it for themselves. You can't do it for somebody, but you can offer them the key, and if they accept that, then the two of you can reconcile the relationship. So here's some steps for you to prepare to walk into a situation where there's conflict and offer forgiveness. The first is get clear inside of you. Your goal is not to set them straight, but to figure out what's the problem, what's going on. Number two is to own your part, and number three is to stay on topic. Number three is to stay on topic. I'm going to ask Eric if he would come on stage and join me. And as Eric's coming on stage, I want to share with you a tool that we taught people in our Emotionally Healthy Relationships class just last month. And then Eric's going to talk about how he applied that tool in his own personal life. So this tool is called the Ladder of Integrity. You can see that's a ladder. That's a ladder. And the purpose of the Ladder of Integrity is for you to get clarity about what's going on, what the problem is, what's going on inside of you, what really matters to you. Okay? Let me walk you real briefly through this. Questions one through four is what's going on inside of me? And so it starts at the very beginning, at the very bottom by saying, right now the issue on my mind is. What's the issue that's on my mind? What's the problem? And let me just say this, you can only pick one at a time. You can only pick one. If you got a whole bunch, you got a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. But you start with one. This next question is the hardest question, I think, on this whole thing, which is what is my part? What's my part in this? Not what did they do wrong, not what did they do to me, but what is my part in this? Number three, what do I need? And number four, I talked to you a little bit about that. What's my feelings? What does my reaction tell me about me? The next three are the things that I value. Why did this bother me? Why is this troubling me? Why did this get me up in arms? Why did this create this conflict in me? Look at number five. This issue, this issue is important to me because I value what? And I violate that value when? Number six, I'm willing or not willing. Where are your boundaries? You need to know what your boundaries are. Number seven, one thing I can do to improve it. Number eight, the most important thing I want you to know is this. And then look at the top. What do I hope for? Um, I think my honest sharing will benefit our relationship by fill in the blank, and I hope and look forward to fill in the blank. And so this is a tool that is designed for you to use in your own personal life. This is not a tool for you to sit down with someone in your life and say, my pastor told me I'm supposed to sit here and ask you all these questions. Please do not go home and do that. Please do not do that. These are designed for you to get internal clarity so that you can walk toward this with a heart that's ready to reconcile if they are ready to do that and move forward. So I've asked Eric to join me on stage. Eric was a part of our Emotionally Healthy Relationships class. And so, Eric, of those uh, first three, the fight, flight, or freeze, which one are you? Well, you pegged me. I live just inside of Berks County, and I'm a fighter. <laughs> <clears throat> Yes, right. I like the fight. So Eric likes the fight. Okay. So he came to this Emotionally Healthy Relationships class. And tell me, what was, what was your first impressions when you got exposed to this ladder of integrity? I did not like it. Why? Because um, I, I thought it was something, like you said, that you would use with someone else in a, in a conversation. I just couldn't, I couldn't get myself to figure this out. Um, and about a week later then... Um, much like this board, it kind of whacked me upside the head and is like, wait a minute, this is for me. Um, and then it all, it all clicked. It all clicked. So you were telling me recently that you've started to use this in various situations that have, that have come up where you would normally go at it and you've used this as a way to, 
do some self-reflection to sort it out. Can you tell us a situation where that recently happened to you? Yeah, so uh, my wife and I were on our way to a movie, and I got a phone call just a few minutes before we parked in, pulled into the parking lot, and from the short conversation, it really appeared like this, I had been stabbed in the back, um, betrayed. Um, so Laura asked me, how do you feel about this? And I was like, ah, it's, it's not that big a deal. Um, but then we sat there and watched this movie, and the course what, of the movie. What was movie, the movie? Oh, it was I Can Only Imagine, which a big piece of that is forgiveness, so it should have helped <laughs> me calm down. Had the total opposite. Um, so as this movie went on, my blood's boiling, like this churning inside of me. Am I the only guy who has this? I'm not sure, but... You're not. Uh, okay. <laughs> so by the point that the movie was over, um, I'm ready to just light this person up on the phone, call them, and um, it's probably good I don't have Twitter or that stuff because I'd be a mess. Um, yeah, so as we're going to the car and I said to Laura how I was feeling, she got the brunt of what I was feeling, and, mm. and she said, hey, we need to climb the ladder of integrity on this. Um, so, yeah, so on the way home, we, we started going through this stuff. Um, didn't have it in front of me, but I knew, well, what's my part in this, and how's mm. this making me feel? Um, and I started to calm down, and then she stopped at Dairy Queen for me and got me ice cream, which calmed me down some more. Um, <laughs> good wife, good wife. <laughs> um, so as it turned out, so I gathered all the facts. I went through this whole thing myself, my wife and I did, and I gathered all the facts and realized what I thought they said never happened. Wow. Um, so if I would have engaged that person outside of the movie theater, I would have blew apart a friendship. Wow. Um, and instead, we can kind of laugh about it. I told him the story, and we both laughed. Yeah, wow. Well, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Would you thank Eric for sharing that story with us this morning? Thanks, Eric. I appreciate that. And when Eric shared this story with me, I, I just said, you know, Eric, that's a great illustration of when this stuff, it can just pop up in our lives. I mean, he's going out on a date with his wife and this shows up. And, and what does he do with it? And, and as you heard him say, if he would have acted in the moment, he likely would have lost a friendship, you know. But to have the capacity to slowly take a step back, to slowly walk back into this and be willing to ask ourselves some hard questions, when we're willing to do that and we're willing to sort it out on the inside for us and then approach them with a totally different spirit, we don't find ourselves fishing for an apology when we go to have this conversation with, some, with someone. And instead, Jesus says, now come and now give your heart fully to worship. You see, once you've gone and requested forgiveness, realize that no matter what their response is, God has forgiven you and He's wiped the slate clean. It's clean. It's clean. And humbly doing this act of obedience makes it possible for you to resume a deeper, fuller, richer relationship with God, which I have to assume that because you took time to be here today, that that's something you want, your heart longs for with God. This quote we've been talking about the last few weeks, I just want to remind us of it. it. Forgiveness is setting the prisoner free and discovering the prisoner was you. Who was in prison, Eric or his friend? Eric was. And his ability to walk through that, to process that through, allowed him to experience that freedom. I love what Paul says in Romans. He says this, don't repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. And then he says this, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, 
live at peace with everyone. He says, you do what you can. You do your part and pursue peace and leave the rest in God's hands. Don't take revenge. Leave room for God's wrath. God will revenge. Avenge. I will repay. In just a moment, our band's going to come, and they're going to close with a song. I want to pray first, and they're going to close with a song. And, and as they close with a song, my prayer for you is that, um, that you remember as we celebrate a communion what Jesus has done for you. And the song talks about the word forgiveness being stamped on our hearts, and that you would be prepared to walk towards offering that forgiveness to others. Would you bow in prayer with me as we wrap up? God, this whole issue of forgiveness is a, um, it's tough, God. Um, As we've been talking this morning, I am fairly confident that there are people who have thought of things that they said, oh, it's no big deal, just like Eric did. And it came right to their mind, flooding into their minds, and they realized This is a big deal. And so, God, now they have to walk towards this. They have to walk back towards a friend, a coworker, a family member, a parent, and say, I need to talk about something that's going to be really hard. And God, as we recognize the need to do this and are faced with the challenge of it, I pray that we would be willing to follow the things that your word outlines, that we would check our hearts, that we would examine our motives, that we would think through, why does this bother me? And we just walk towards them with a heart bent towards reconciliation, regardless of whether they choose it or not. God, help us not to ever forget your incredible forgiveness for each one of us and let that motivate us and let that empower us and let that drive us to love and forgive the way you have. In your name I pray.